0: A, a Giants podcast for Giants fans, Hi, Giants
1: fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into
0: the end zone. Touchdown
1: Giants! From the offseason, through the wins and the losses. It's time to take one, 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 one Giants Giant. step, step. To Eagle Week on One Giant Step. Caw-caw, caw-caw. It's Sean Moresh and Paul Dettino. I don't know if an eagle sounds like that, but that's what we're going to go with. And Paul's already shaking his head at me. Paul, welcome inside Eagle Week, pal.
0: I need some earplugs, man. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Sean. You know, I, I was on a uh, an Eagles program just yesterday, and I think we were all lamenting the fact that it has taken so long For these two rivals to hook up again, the turnpike hustle is always one that we look forward to. But at the same time, I do have to salute Commissioner Goodell years ago who decided to backload the schedule with these division games because ultimately, ultimately, you're much better off playing these rivalry games in the second half of the season. So despite the fact that we had a wait, I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I needed five of the six to happen from Thanksgiving on, but yeah, <laughs> to that point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at this run of games that the Giants are in. It has made things a lot more fun, and clearly, you know, and we're going to get into all the breakdowns of this. Clearly, the Giants are underdogs in this game. Not nearly as big a dog as people would have thought, at least in terms of the sports books, which is intriguing, but they are underdogs and, you know, still limping them with some of the bodies, but nonetheless, an interesting game as the Eagles clearly, clearly right now have risen to the cream of the crop and the NFL. But some house cleaning things that we're going to go through here before we get into this game. And basically, let's play the week that was in Giant Land. Number one, briefly just touched on this off air. Odell Beckham Jr., who started his free agency tour with the New York Giants, went to Buffalo. So I'm looking to make sure I hit all the notes, went and spent two days in Dallas. You know, what was really funny about this, Paul, is You know, we were at a point in time in Thanksgiving where some might have suggested that Thanksgiving, the winner was going to determine where Odell Beckham Jr. went. Shocker, he's completed all three trips, including Dallas and the Giants, hasn't signed anywhere. So hard for me to say that that was the case. But nonetheless, we end this with this. The Dallas Cowboys, as they typically do, with Jerry Jones and company, make everything public, everything theatrical. I think a really good sign no matter what comes out of Odell signed with the Giants, not signed with the Giants is that you look at the way the Cowboys just handled this. And you look at the way the Giants just handled this. Brian Dable kept the focus on the team now and what was going on while acknowledging, yes, we're talking to Odell Beckham jr. Where the Cowboys, it was Jerry Jones, basically on both knees pleading how badly they wanted Beckham only to now come out afterwards and go, well, you know, I'm a little curious if he's going to be able to play now and this and that and the other thing. And now throw on top of it, DeMarcus Lawrence, we all hate his Giants fans, Paul, going, well, if you can't help us now, I don't want the circus that is Beckham. Uh, two points again. One, good that the Giants didn't act like the Cowboys in this. And again, maybe he doesn't pick the Giants, maybe whatever. Two... It just shows you, man, this is why I'm so happy to be a giant fan. The Cowboys and their players have some nerve to call the Odell Beckham Jr. situation a circus when all Jerry Jones did for the last two weeks was make this a circus while bragging about it. So just a reminder, if you listen to the Giants, you go, oh, we're not as good as the Cowboys. The Cowboys are the circus calling others the circus. And the Giants went about this trip and handled it the right way, Paul.
0: Well, you know, Sean, really, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are a clickbait feast. Let's make that very clear from yeah. the very get-go. Yes. I mean, they, the, the, the social media and, and 24-hour news cycles, uh, those things fit into the Cowboys' narrative yeah. about as well as they possibly yeah, could. Paul,
1: Paul, I'd call them a three-ring circus, except they haven't seen a ring in a very long time. <laughs> oh, nice one. How about just a playoff victory? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and, and as far as the narrative about the the giant Dallas game on Thanksgiving, well, you know, people need to uh, understand you can't
1: always believe what you read. Yeah, you can't. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, again, Beckham now finding out, hey, he may not be ready to play to the playoffs. Uh, this is a little you know, shocking. You know, Jerry Jones basically calling it his camp. I'll give him this. The one thing that we heard from Beckham in his camp was he's looking for a place the next couple years to call home. He even mentioned the words buying a house, all of that. So the idea that this should be some surprise to the Dallas Cowboys that. Odell Beckham Jr.'s tour was not more about this year, but more about future years. Also shows all those dopes that said Thanksgiving was the Odell Beckham Jr. Bowl. It was never about winning a Super Bowl this year. It was about him finding a home for the next couple of years, which is what we alluded to time and time again. So I I don't know. I just watched this thing (laughs) unfold, and I just cannot believe the idiocy that surrounded it. It's like, has anybody actually paid attention to what was actually said about this tour ahead of time? That would take too much intelligence, Sean. Oh, what a joke. What a joke. Okay. That was house cleaning item. Number one house cleaning item. Number two. And I think it was worth a further look ahead. So I kind of played the schedule game. We did the the reaction podcast to the tie clearly earlier in the week. Thanks to all that subscribed and listened versus the commanders. And we talked about the tie. and you had an interesting tweet. You were the only one that I saw off Brian Dable speaking that tweeted this. And I want to get to it in just a second. That it wasn't just about the commanders and edging them out. It's about what's going on in San Francisco and Seattle as well. Okay. And it should be noted that with that tie, if you want to play the game ahead, if Seattle, who's going to need a couple more wins here, only gets to nine wins and the Giants also get the nine wins, they would get in over them because they wouldn't have as many losses. Seattle's schedule after Carolina this week is unbelievable. Right? San Francisco, which is going to be a key swing game one way or another. They play, the freaking Chiefs still, and they play the Jets at home. A game that could get flexed to Sunday night. Conceivably, you could see the Jet, the Seahawks losing all three of those games, which is why, if you look at the schedule this week, if they were to somehow play down to their opponent versus Carolina, like they did versus the Rams last week and trip up, watch for that in the late window this week, because that'd be great news to Giant fans. Now, Paul, the reason I brought up your tweet, and you may not even know what tweet I'm referencing you said something I thought was so interesting that Brian Dable acknowledged that his analytics team at this time of year is not just about game to game, but also is including the playoffs, which would tell you why he's punting on fourth down because the analytics team is in his ear about percentages with the playoffs. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think the reason
0: that those words caught my ear very attentively, I might add, as I was listening to him is because you had mentioned to me on the podcast that, Hey, When we went over the scenarios, I would hope that Brian Dable was thinking about the standings implications. And I said to you, well, he hadn't said that, so I don't know, but it makes sense. And then when he mentioned this to the news media yesterday, that as you get down toward the end of the season, those standings implications are part of their daily or weekly analytics discussions, I said, there you go, ring the bell, ding, ding, ding. So I'm so glad that you uh, that you had you had actually prodded me to uh, to yeah. uh, make
1: sure that I was alert for such a statement. And part of being a head coach is aware of everything. And and yes, the main thing is they're going to keep the team grounded and go game to game. But you have to think about within the game the greater picture on the season. And I and I think that came down to it. and that's why more and more as the weeks gone on, I understand if you were a player that just put your body on the line for 60 minutes, walking out of there with a tie and feeling like you know, dejected, did I waste my time? But I'm just strictly talking about a fan's perspective where now my, you know, a long time ago now, my momentum shifted on, I want to make the playoffs. That tie did the Giants well or at least much more well than a loss would have done so that's kind of where it's at and we'll see what happens with the 49ers here as they play the bucks this week but it's fun you know paul in mid-december it's been a long time since we could look up at a scoreboard and be staring at the good teams and the scoreboard watching and rooting for losses and not just rooting for losses when it comes to draft scenarios so again once you get through the giant eagle game and we'll preview that and whatever your feelings are if you're super negative i understand all of that but in that late window this week Root for Carolina, root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because the more losses and the more you drive those teams down to a potential max out of yeah. nine wins, the better will be for the Giants after this tie.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt, Sean. It goes back to, to what I told uh, you guys before the, uh, the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. You have to look at the value of each game within the scope of the playoff picture, which is why a loss to Dallas on Thanksgiving was not devastating to the Giants. I hated to say that because, you know, as a fan, everybody out there wants to live and die with every win and every loss. But the fact remained that losing to the Cowboys was not going to significantly impact the Giants' playoff possibilities. And quite frankly, same thing on Sunday, Sean. I really don't want to say this, but should they lose to Philadelphia? Again, it is not a devastating blow. You don't want to lose. But it, it, everything is
1: still in front of this team. All right, Paul, that is a that is exactly, you walk me right into what I was going to say next. Okay, this game versus the Eagles Sunday, the Giants obviously should be underdogs. In fact, every team in the NFL, maybe outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, should be underdogs to the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, we all want to badly beat the Eagles. We're tired of being beaten by them. I get all of that. This game, and this this statement will not be true a week from now when talking about the Commanders. If the Giants lose this game, all they do is enter next week with the same exact record as the Washington Commanders, playing them to have the tiebreak on them at the end of the year and beat them. So that is why losing this game isn't an end-all, be-all. What a win would do in this game is put you in a position where next week you could be playing to possibly bury the commanders behind you, or dare I say, get a leg up on the loser of the Seattle-San Francisco situation and yes. stash an extra win that those two teams didn't yes. see the Giants had in them. So winning a game here would be enormous if you want the odds to make the playoffs just from tallying up those wins and putting them in your pocket. But losing it is not a disaster. Whereas losing next week, if you lost this week, would definitely be a disaster because then you would lose that tie break on the commanders. So it's kind of You know, one of those games where you always want to beat Philly, you need to get as many wins as you can right now. So, yes, it's a big game, but I've read some things on Twitter for some writers calling this, you know, the Giants enter a must-win game versus Philadelphia on Sunday. Let's relax with the loose terms of must-win here.
0: Yeah, well, you know, there's always room for clickbait uh, amongst the people who write things. You understand that. But I will tell you this, Sean. Um, In all honesty, you know, the Giants got to go into this game figuring out the paths to victory, as I always say, Parcells taught me that phrase many, many years ago. And there are not very many paths to victory against a team that deserves to be heavily favored against a team that has many paths to victory against the Giants on Sunday. It is an uphill battle. And I will say this, and we talked about it also a couple of weeks ago when the Giants were playing, um, uh, I'm forgetting now, who did, uh, they played Detroit. Okay right? And there were some guys who were close to coming back. And the question was, are they going to make it or are they not going to make it? I'll give you an example. Leonard Williams, dealing with soreness in his neck. That's not something you want to fool around with. If he's borderline, do you play him against Philadelphia knowing it's going to be a rough and tumble and physical game? Or do you let him heal up knowing that he's got a better chance to be closer to full strength the following weekend against Washington? You have to consider these things when you're looking at the overall picture. Now, the Giants, I would maintain to you, just as important, maybe more important than the result of the game on Sunday,
1: is that that injury list does not get any worse Monday morning. Yep. Yep. And, and Paul, because of that, and let's get into injuries right here. You mentioned Leonard Williams with the neck. Now, again, ultimately, I, I agree with you. Although knowing Leonard Williams and how he a guy who before the year I never know. missed the game, he's going to want to play. I mean, it's going to take a lot of convincing to Leonard Williams to not, <laughs> you know, basically rip the jersey and shoulder pads and not let him in the building on Sunday to not play the game. I look, I'm not there. I tend to think Leonard Williams is going to find his way into this game. I do, but I, I think I get so come too. From. But we'll see. Uh, but I get it. So that brings me to I think two big names that we all basically know from here and from Dable are not going to be active this week, and I think they're the two names that have altered the course of the season and whether you want to say that they would have won all of these games none of these games whatever i think that i look at what happened versus washington even to a lesser extent detroit and to a slightly lesser extent dallas the dory jackson xavier mckinney injuries is just a situation where the team is exo- you know exhausted everything they can depth wise and dable had mentioned the pins coming out of mckinney's hand and then having to maybe play with a club was You know, a reversal, McKinney had mentioned a club. Dable basically had said the club was not an option and then went back to saying the club is an option once the pins get out. Right. Clearly, it seems very doubtful for this game. I think to that point, and Adoree Jackson as well, I feel differently about this game and the Giants' chances if they have both of those guys I feel uber confident they beat Washington if they definitely have both of those guys. Although Jackson maybe could be further away. I mean, Paul where it stands with those guys. I mean, I think those two names are the wild cards, this whole giant season, the rest of the way.
0: Uh, I have felt for the last two weeks that the Washington rematch would be the target date for both McKinney and Jackson. I think we've even talked about it on this program. Yeah. I'm not move. I'm not moving off that. I, I still believe that the Washington rematch is the target for both. Uh, we will know more about McKinney when we find out if those pins are coming out early next right. week. Right. He to me is the guy a little bit more in, in doubt. I feel strongly about a
1: Jackson making you. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because if you were not in the room and you were reading uh, what, whatever you could read here and, and the transcripts or everything, I got the vibe that we might be closer to McKinney next week than we are Jackson. I, I don't personally feel that way, but that's fine. Yeah. again, look, and, and obviously you don't know for a fact, we're just kind of speculating.
0: I'm just well, telling you yeah. the vibe God. Okay. The, the, the thing about it is, you know, I've been talking to both of the players and that's the sense I get from them, but I will tell you this also, Sean, um, as we all know, when you're dealing with the medical stuff, if these, he, uh, McKinney's got these pins in his, in his fingers, which were really badly, badly right. mangled in that accident. I mean, who knows when they take those things out, who knows what shape they're really going to find those fingers in. Yeah. Honestly, Not I mean, directly. and even taking them out is probably God knows a very delicate procedure. Yeah, no so, doubt about
1: it. It just anyway. stinks, Paul. I mean, look, I I know I sound like a broken record, but it felt like two in much different ways, completely preventable injuries for the New York Giants that have really I know them on the back end. Okay. Uh, other injury news. Bredesen still looks like he's a little bit away. And I find that one interesting because, you know, and as you do as well, do those guys slide right back in the starting lineup? I know Glowinski was battling a little stuff. He got a little bit of a rest day earlier in the week. Uh, but it doesn't feel like you're going to get either back, right? I don't think so. Right now, as
0: we speak about this on Thursday morning, uh, I suspect the same five you saw last weekend will be the same five you see this weekend against Philly I, and I and I might add I did see quite a lot of uh of uh vigor thrown at Kluwinski by some of the fans cuz he did allow a couple of sacks last week uh, need you guys be reminded that he had a bad back like 36 hours before no, kickoff and it's admirable and he, okay and and he went out there to do everything he could and played at, at a functional level I get it. The two bad sacks look bad, but he played at a functional level for four quarters, you know, roughly
1: 36 hours after coming up with a bad back. Well, Paul, and I'm just going to strictly speak from a fan's perspective. I agree on this game completely. I think that but I think the thing is with Lewinsky and the fans, this has been building and it's probably almost unfair to Lewinsky the Giants suddenly look like for the first time, and as long as many of us can remember, that they have a functional offensive line, right? I mean, Evan Neal has really come along at right tackle. They have an elite left tackle. Uh, We've seen Nick Gates at, you know, he didn't have the greatest game on Sunday, but play a little better. And Feliciano has been fine. It feels like because Glowinski was the guy signed. And by the way, a very fair deal when you consider the market, he has gotten, he's gotten beaten. He's looked poor on a lot of reps throughout the year. And I think that's been kind of a tidal wave moving with the fans and Gluwinski, but nonetheless, again, you know, he went out there, he gutted it out. It was probably better than what Jack Anderson would have given you at right guard as well. Now, Paul, I do want to say the other two injuries slash illness that I can't even believe one of them I'm going to say are kind of key. Kenny Galladay seems to be back again. Not that you're expecting a lot out of Kenny Galladay, but, but, but. When it really now feels like it's only Slayton, Hodgins, and, and Richie Richie James. And if one of those guys would ever get banged up for a series or two, you kind of need Galladay on the field. I can't believe it's that way, Paul, but it's the truth. He looked like a full participant earlier. And on top of that, look, Zion Gilbert, you went back and watched the tape too. So close to being able to get that interception in, in, in late in that fourth quarter. Darnay Holmes... Uh, you know, for better, for his even. You're really not a big darn eight guy. That was a, especially with a Dory out. That was a brutal loss not to have him on Sunday. And where does he seem to be trending for this Eagle game?
0: Yeah, uh, Holmes trending upward ever so slightly. I don't know if it's going to be quick enough to get him on Sunday. And uh, again, Sean, I know it's going to give you agita, but you look at the secondary that the Giants played with in the fourth quarter against Washington and in overtime. And there's a real possibility that's the secondary that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to face at MetLife Stadium. Uh, look, you got to hold your breath. What you have yeah. to do, you, you have to play uh, a Tampa 2. You have to. You have no choice. Right. You can't play man with those guys. You're going to have to play a lot of zone. and And even with that zone, you can't be afraid to sometimes send an extra guy or two. Because that's what Wink wants to do. That's what he has to do. You have to make Hurts uncomfortable because any NFL quarterback, any NFL quarterback, is going to be able to pick you apart if you just play passively and decide to, you know, play flag football and patty cake, patty cake in the pocket and let him do what he wants to do. You can't, you just can't do that. And it's against everything that Wink believes in. So he's going to still send guys, but you're going to see probably a lot more zone. It's it's a shame that, you know, they had to come down to bringing up, you know, Zion Gilbert, five-year Florida Atlantic player to make his NFL debut. And not only that, he had to play the whole game. I mean, it it, it is what it is. Unfortunately, the worst part about it is that Philly's weapons, their passing game weapons are more dangerous than the commander's. That's the yeah. worst part about
1: it. Which is going to lead us into our pass to victory before we actually make our formal game predictions and all of that goes with it. All right. So with that, I guess the good news from a slot perspective is it looks like Quez Watkins may not play on Sunday, which he's been pretty good in the slot. So yeah. again, he's not A.J. Brown. He's not Devontae Smith. But it's at least something to hang your hat on. And you brought up, you know, Wink sending pressure. I think from a defensive point of view, Paul, uh, I guess before I say for before a defensive point of view, before we act like, sore losers, and the Giants have no shot. Let me just say this. What happened last week versus the Philadelphia Eagles is freaking scary, and A.J. Brown looked like he was on another planet trying to beat his old team, the Titans, but the Giants did just tie the Washington Commanders short, guys. Did they not? Did did they not? Did the Washington Commanders just a couple weeks ago beat the Philadelphia Eagles? They did. Scoring 32 points. Yep, okay, and I know that the Giants need to score some points. Did the Philadelphia Eagles need a miracle to beat Jeff Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts a couple weeks ago, they did. They did. They did a miracle late. So as good and dominant as the Eagles are, this is still football. They are still past the victory, and the Giants shouldn't walk into this game feeling like they have no shot. I mean, the team they just tied beat them, and I know it doesn't right. work out equally. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, try to have our mindsets a little level-headed. Okay, that being said, you talked about bringing pressure. The Giants are going to win this game and not get killed where – like to me, if the Eagles score 35 points in this game, the Giants are losing the game, right? They're not going to go score 36, 37, 38 points. No, it's it's. I think the two biggest keys the whole game defensively, because the secondary is what it is, is going to be ojalari and Thibodeau on the edge, and can they just flat out wreck the game? Because when Jalen Hurts has been forced into a couple turnovers, that has been what's tightened the game, and that's how the Giants had a lead and halftime on Thanksgiving. We saw Ojalari and Thibodeau moving, and they. You know, almost won that game flat out. Those two guys, Paul, more than anybody else on that defense, I think are the kind of guys that could alter this game in the Giants' favor.
0: Well, I I would actually go in another direction because the Giants need turnovers. Now, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they get turnovers out of sacks and forced fumbles and strips. So maybe you're right. I don't want to totally disagree with you. What what I would like to see, you know, this as well as anybody, Sean, and when you play more zone, you've got a better chance to get interceptions because you can play the ball better than playing the man.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: So, so my feeling is the Giants desperately need interceptions or or they desperately need takeaways. I don't think they can man up against those receivers. So if you are going to play a little bit more zone, you got to be able to take advantage of those opportunities and try to come up with a couple of picks. Now... Hertz hasn't been throwing them this year and God knows his receivers are so talented. They're such outstanding route runners and they've got terrific ball skills. They're not the kinds of guys who are going to tip it up off their fingertips and get it picked off. You're going to have to actually out anticipate them, get a good angle to the ball, close and take it away. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and so for me, I'm going to tell my secondary if if I'm Wink Martindale, I'm going to tell these guys there's going to be times we're going to we're going to play some zone and so forth. You're going to have to anticipate and you're going to have to take some chances and you're going to have to go get that ball.
1: I, it's risky, but I don't think they got much to lose. I I agree. And oh man, Paul, this is our chemistry is on fire. Your <laughs> sentence just there. I don't think they have much to lose was the exact sentence I was going to use to set up my next point on the path to victory. And that is this I've sat back. I've rewatched this game. Now a couple of times, the giant commander game. And obviously I've read all the scuttle button. I follow all the fan stuff. I follow the media stuff. I think I can utter the words. I don't think you have much to lose when it comes to the time is now in a game like this to let Daniel Jones be a little less conservative. Okay. He, he showed on Sunday and I know the the receivers are super weak and that's a big part of this. And so is the interior of the line. He showed on Sunday on a couple of those passes to Slayton. Oh, by the way, the one that he dropped where people tried to blame on Jones, he actually did throw it behind Slayton. If you looked at the way Slayton had to extend it, this is clear now. Teams have anticipated what the Giants are doing with the run game. Barkley was better on Sunday, but not as good as he was the last couple of weeks, I mean, or before the last couple of weeks of struggles. The way, the only way to soften that up and to get Barkley humming again on the ground is to not wait until you're down 10 points or two touchdowns to start throwing the ball, especially on first down, where Jones's numbers when he has thrown a the, thrown the first down have been good. And again, I get that he doesn't have A.J. Brown working with him there, but you talked about a lot of, you know, treasure chest, toy box stuff that the Giants haven't used. And there's only so much they could do without Wandell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, and on and on and on and on and on. I think they got to let Daniel Jones ball a little bit more, play a little more aggressive. And by the way, in the end, if you end up losing this game because Daniel Jones now turned the ball over two, three times, again, I ask you, what do you have to lose? Because if you happen to hit on a couple of these plays and you soften the defense, then maybe you get back to having that second half of a game Saquon Barkley performance that worked so well earlier in the year. Daniel Jones is playing, I think, good football right now. Let him have a little trust in trying to play great football right now.
0: That's an interesting call. Uh, I will say this, Sean. What if you've got this game in a nip and tuck battle at halftime like you did in Dallas on Thanksgiving? Would you still subscribe to that coming out in the third quarter? Or would you try to slow the game down into a crawl and see if you could win it with with – Here's here's what I will say. The two things that the Eagles have shown bruises against, they can be bruised in the run game, although they'll run blitz Barkley a lot because obviously teams have been run blitzing Barkley for a month and they've been able to contain him. But they've been bruised in the run game a number of times this year and and not not look that stout. Quarterbacks can run against them, okay, because of the way they play their wide nine up front. They will create a lot of lanes and a lot of holes for quarterback draws and quarterback read options. So I do think this is one of those games where Daniel has to be more aggressive, but maybe more aggressive with his legs rather than his arm. The other thing that I see is that their linebackers are not really good in coverage. If you can isolate Barkley and Breida, in a passing game against their linebackers, especially Breda, who's got such speed, you can do some stuff there in the middle part of the field. You know, getting that, getting that isolation. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if I subscribe to the "what if you have to lose" philosophy
1: on offense as much as I do on defense. Uh, look, I'm not saying you abandon not being smart at all. I am just saying the time has come to not. Not play scared. Just don't play scared. And, oh, by the way, a lot of the things you're saying about the Eagles and being bruised on the run game, Paul, I mean, I could close my eyes and go back three weeks. We were having the same conversation about the Lions, and guess what the Lions did? They sold out and they shut down Saquon Barkley. Right. So right. My, my point is we have we have enough now on tape for a month to know that defenses are daring Daniel Jones and the Giants say, hey, we don't think you could beat us. Now, if you beat us with your legs, you beat us with your legs. We're not going to let Saquon Barkley beat us. And – to me, the only way to let Saquon, to have Saquon Barkley beat you again. Now, you're talking about nip, nip and tuck. Are we nip and tuck because, you know, we actually had a couple touchdown throws? Well, then maybe the defense is softened and then you do let Barkley run. But I, I just, again, I think this is a spot here with the Giants where I'm not telling you abandon the run at all costs. All I'm saying is if you think that you're going to win some kind of 20 to 17 game with the Eagles completely on, you know, running the ball and draining the clock. You're probably asking to have your heart broke in the end, that there just needs to be a little more attempt to soften things up here and a little more trust put in the quarterback.
0: You know, remember, when a team is going to come hard with a run blitz and they're going to stuff and clog your lanes between the tackles, which is really where the Giants want Barkley to go. Again, I hate to say this because I've been crying about this guy for months. That's where Breda could really come into yeah, play.
1: Right. No, uh, by the way, if that means you're throwing – Throwing, it doesn't mean you have to throw 80-yard passes every time. The pass game can include Breida, the tight ends, attacking the linebackers, but just hum it along and show them that you're not allowed to throw through the air. I, I don't I don't disagree.
0: He is uh, my second biggest mystery behind Galladay. Galladay is, Gallaudet right is my Andy. biggest mystery. Before my the sti- second biggest mystery, and Breida's healthy, and he's a great teammate, right. and he, the fact that he just doesn't get enough snaps or touches, that's my second biggest mystery yeah. of the season.
1: Yeah, and every time he gets the ball, he seems to have a good burst. But, by the way, people have said this about Breida's whole career. It's not even something he's done for whatever reason. You know, he's just never used enough. But when he's used, you can see those wheels. All right, Paul, I mean, the time has come. Game picks and, of course, you know, some kind of fantasy play, which maybe if you ends up being Matt Breida, what do you got? <laughs>
0: you know, I'm going to tell you, it's funny. Uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, with the Eagles 27-16. to 16. Uh, I, okay. I don't like I don't like the paths to victory equation as I lay it out. It's gonna take some outstanding execution from the Giants on both sides of the ball to be able to steal this one. But when you're asking me for for a fantasy pick, uh I'm gonna go back to uh somebody that I mentioned the other day and, and I, I went with with Bellinger last week. I'd
1: like to go back to him if you don't mind. Yeah, doctor wife, I'm, I'm mine. Paul, it's your podcast, too. You, uh, you can make your pick. <laughs> All right, Be- Bellinger's a good play, and there's your score. All right, so I'm going to turn this around on you. I'm going to kind of speak on kind of what I was talking about with being aggressive throwing the ball. I think one of these long passes to Slayton is going to connect, and it's going to connect where he actually gets loose and into the end zone, similar to what we saw to start that Jacksonville game. I think Slayton finds his way to pay dirt this week. And what I keep coming about around to is, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I do like the gambling aspect of games and I like following trends and lines. This line opened at six and a half. And as it stands on Thursday, it stood at six and a half. The reason I bring that up is if you're, if you're not a gambler and you're like, why are you talking about gambling? When those, when there are numbers on the board that feel too good to be true, There's a reason they're too good to be true, and the books are begging you to do that. Having this number sit below a touchdown seven after what the Eagles just did to the Titans means that sportsbooks across America are begging people to bet the Philadelphia Eagles laying six and a half, and their thought is, and look at all those tall buildings in Vegas, your money's coming in our pocket. So I find that very interesting. What do they know that we don't know? Are the Eagles due for a letdown? Maybe they overlooked the Giants a little bit. I am not picking the Giants to win the game. I am going to pick the Giants to cover that number because something tells me that they know. I think the Giants lose this game 27-24 in heartbreaking fashion. But, oh boy. but, 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 the game is going to have the feels Of the Packer loss in 2011, the Patriot loss in 2007. And this doesn't mean I mean the Giants are going to win a Super Bowl. What I mean is this belief of, hey, we've gone through a rough time. That's the best football has to offer. We just hung with them toe-to-toe. And I think it sets them off and they go beat the Commanders and start to feel good about themselves. And maybe, dare I say, beat the Vikings the following week. I think that this is going to be a classic, hey, Stop. Take a deep breath. That wasn't as bad as we thought. We're okay here. Reset kind of loss for the Giants where it's tight. I think they lose the game 27-24.
0: Well, you know what? If they can come out of a game like that healthy, that would certainly be a positive. Although if Jake Elliott hits a 65-yard field goal on the last play, you will probably vomit all over yourself.
1: That's a TV smasher. That's a TV smasher if it's not long a <laughs> field goal for sure. But that's where I'm at, Paul, and that's that's my belief, and I'm sticking to it. So we will be back with you next week, of course, on Monday to recap whatever should happen between the Giants and Eagles. Uh, and, of course, we'll see what happens with Seattle. San Francisco is maybe part of this podcast. We start to include, uh, you know, a little check of where everybody's at, and next week will be an enormous one giant week heading into the Commanders Part due. Paul, where can we get you on Twitter for the rest of the week? At Giants WFAA. And you can follow me on Twitter at MerazCBS. Thanks for listening, subscribing. Thanks to our producer, Adam. And thanks, of course, for taking one giant step with us.